0: hello and welcome to life beyond the numbers the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life we live in a world largely driven by numbers logic and reason but how we feel at work and about our work impacts us our organizations and society There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michielan, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique. Others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So, join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories, and strategies to inspire you. to episode 149 of Life Beyond the Numbers. This episode is going out on Saturday, October 28th and is the second episode in October. If you listen to episode 148, you might remember that I mentioned I would only put out episodes every second week throughout October and November. This is the second episode on Saturday the 28th. In this episode, I speak to James Perry. James and I covered a whole host of different topics throughout this conversation. And I think we we came back around a couple of times to things like success, fairness, and self-awareness, as well as connection and storytelling. I hope you enjoy. Well, today, I am delighted to speak with James Perry, a long overdue conversation, I think, but we're finally here, James. Welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers.
1: Thank you very much, Susan, for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: And James is sitting in this, he can't see the room because we're not showing the video, but he's got this beautiful room behind him where there's light shining even, and What's of, going on outside?
1: Middle of the storm, yeah. Storm <laughs> eye is hitting Ireland as we speak.
0: So you are in the eye of the storm there, James.
1: You should have, you should have seen how calm it was this morning. It's incredible. And now all hell's breaking this right <laughs> So I apologize for any rain or anything, any sort of sound effects in the background.
0: I'm sure we'll be fine. We'll be fine one of the things I what I think it must have been the the TEDx talk that you did. And congratulations on doing a TEDx talk. and we'll put a link in the the show notes if anyone would like to listen. But I think what what was driving that was ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Okay. And I love that because I think we all have stories. We all, and because we're human, we learn from other stories. So, maybe you tell us some of the ordinary people in your life and the extraordinary things that have
1: happened. Funny enough, just to bring that in terms of stories. A fellow accountant on LinkedIn last week put a video up of him walking through a graveyard, through a cemetery. And I went, Toby, do you have some Irish DNA in you? Because there's a fascination for Irish people and graveyards. Would you have a fascination for graveyards?
0: Yes. Everywhere I travel, I go to see them.
1: But that's because of our fascination. with Stories, graveyards are full of stories. So the number of times you walk along and there's so-and-so and there's that boy and there's that boy. Coincidentally, I I then put that comment up on his LinkedIn post. And he went, yeah, James, my grandparents were Irish. I mean, you've never told me that before. So, yeah, there is a love of story there. And, and I think in this part of the world, especially, I think we're gifted in this island in terms of stories in Ireland. And the very first ordinary person who was brilliant at it was my dad. My dad was an inherently fantastic storyteller. You know, one of those wee men, Susan, that knows a wee bit about nearly everything. That was him, right? He was one of 15 children. Wow. Born during the war. Had to leave school at 14. There was no sign of further education with him. It just wasn't possible back then because he had to go out to work to bring money back to the house to feed the rest of the other children that were being born by my granny my granny was 88 never she died and she lived by herself until she was 86 and she had 15 children whoa different breed back then but my dad was a fantastic storyteller in terms of you name the topic he would have said a small fact and i brought him up in the ted talk very predominantly one thing that really really hit a chord with me last week was I've been back in my travels again. So I was in Copenhagen and Sweden two weeks ago. I was in Milan last week. And the one thing I miss is if I ever went home and I says, right, I'm back from my travels. And he went, oh, how did you get on, son? And then would have told me a fact about the place I was at. And it's just that level of knowledge and story about everything. So he was definitely the first person that sprung to mind when we are talking about storytellers. And funny enough... I said to a cousin of mine last night that as every day goes past, I think I'm turning more and more into my dad. And her response was, Well, that's not a bad thing, James, is it? And I went, Definitely not. So if you have that art of storytelling, it makes it much more relatable. And I think maybe that's where sometimes I get a small bit of success on LinkedIn, is because I can tell stories about how I've experienced things in the profession or travelling, or life, or linking all that sort of stuff together. So yeah, that's the first person that comes to mind with storytelling is my dad. And
0: storytelling and accountancy, James, how do they go together?
1: I will rewind ever so slightly. I qualified with Grant Thornton in 2006, and I was put on the fast track very, very early on, very quickly. So I was promoted very, very quick. So by the age of 27, I was associate director. They said, look, there's a partnership space for you if you so want. But one of the reasons why they said they fast-tracked me was because apparently I was brilliant with clients. And the reason why I was brilliant with clients was that I had to crack or have stories with clients. If it's a 20-minute conversation, I have 15 minutes of cracking stories and five minutes business. So I turn things in its head in that way. And apparently that's the reason my clients love me. I talked about their holidays. I talked about their children. I told them about my latest travels, et cetera, et cetera. And I found out I could get much more information out of them that way as an auditor. In terms of influencing people, if you can be relatable and have a story to tell that shares that experience that someone can tie into, that's what influence is all about. And I think, we are not bean counters that sit behind computers anymore, that knock out spreadsheets. Maybe some people do, but in order to to progress in the profession, I think we need to become more storyteller and conversationalists, without a doubt.
0: I don't see that on the curriculum.
1: No, that's the reason my university have got me involved, and that's the reason why I've got my career coaching program on the go. Because it is that, how many people actually want to sit down and watch Death by PowerPoint anymore? If you're in industry or if you're in practice serving a client, you're not going to produce a twenty-seven slide deck. You know what I mean. So, how you convey the message they want to know in the most quickest and most relatable manner possible—that's something that people need to think about.
0: Yeah, and I think at the beginning you talked about fact versus story, and. I guess in a way there is that the numbers, for me, numbers are always telling a story. It's like, what story are they telling? And if you can't tell that story, then how can anyone understand the facts that are being presented? And I think there's often a disconnect in, in workplaces about understanding that story. People want the facts, they want the numbers, but they don't always understand them.
1: Especially people who have zero finance background. And finance, obviously, is the eyes and ears of a business. And if you can't communicate that to the other stakeholders, whether it be sales, whether it be marketing, it be ops, whether it be higher up the food chain into the board of directors, that's going to be tough. If you just send them a PL or if you send them some analysis of whatever, it's meaningless unless there's an analysis behind it and unless there's a story behind it. So now I completely understand that one. And how to pay, well, funny, talk about some of our chat before we started to record here. You know, folks, go to Toastmasters. Understand how you communicate. And I will contradict myself here. Maybe I do have more right side of brain than I ever give myself credit for because of my conversational style. Maybe I do. I've got this funny mix. Do you know those disc profiles? Yes. Profiles. I've always got the split personality. I'm the only one in the room, typically, that's the red and the blue. Or whatever it is, it's the analytical on one side and the people, empath on the other side. And I've got that crazy mix. And sometimes that's actually the sweet spot. And the profession is changing. I think accountancy is changing. I think the world of work is changing this cutthroat, ruthless, when it all costs, is now starting to go. People don't tolerate that nonsense anymore, I don't think.
0: Really, though, James, I'm going to pull you off on that one because the stories that we see with businesses and everything, I know there's a world where things are changing, but there's also a world where things don't seem to be changing. So in Europe, if we just take Europe, at the moment, something like 13% of people, Mm -hmm. so one in every 10 people, you could say, are engaged at work. So that means nine out of 10 aren't. Does that come down to this ruthlessness and this...
1: So I'll, I'll pose my statement a different way. Does it need to change? Maybe that's the thing. So do we need to go from being ruthless to being more relatable to having engaged employees? I know there are issues at the minute with young qualified accountants in the profession, and that the great resignation is happening in accountancy professions. Why? Because other firms, big multinationals can come across and go, right, you can work online, you don't have to come into the office anymore. And so therefore we can pay you a Dublin or a Belfast salary and you can still live at home. That is racking, especially provincial small firms. So what is the other 80 to 90% that you need to do in order to retain your staff? That's another question. So maybe I will flip that back and go, okay, do you need to soften? Do you need to become more, more relatable? Do you need to have that empathy with your staff? That's gonna be a question that, that people listening to this need to think about.
0: And do they? <laughs> because
1: I, 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 they need to listen to this. Yeah.
0: <laughs> because I, I like I, if you think about going to work in organizations and how you've done your best work in your career. Let's just take ourselves. If I look back, the times, I mean, I would have a strong work ethic anyway, but the times I'm going to go over and above is when I feel that the person who I'm working with or for has my back. Absolutely. Supports me, challenges me as well, but in a way that I can learn and grow gets my curiosity going, and actually cares for me as a person. And much like what you said about being with clients, James. Yeah,
1: and yeah, it's funny. Uh, I'll have a couple of wee bits on that. The best person I've ever worked for, believe it or not, I was financial controller of that lovely blue drink, WKD. Right? <laughs> and apologies for anybody who drinks it out there. Have you ever seen it being made? I'm telling you. Anyway, my boss there was... This is, this is a massive shout out to him. He was the best technical accountant I've ever met, best commercially, best people person, best in Excel. You name it, he was fantastic. But I left after two years. Whenever I handed him a notice, he nearly dropped. He really dro- nearly dropped. And he turned and he said, did I burn you out, James? I'm like, yes, you did. But he was fantastic. And he was very much back me up we had a great rapport in terms of I could turn around and said would you f off and leave me alone that's the good so good rapport we had and there was that where believe it or not the next job I went to was completely the opposite I, and I only lasted there five months and it was a long five months because my new boss didn't speak to me for the first seven weeks apparently this was the test Right, And the first time she communicated to me was she shouted at me across from the printer to the desk at me. And the next day, she sent me 21 emails while sitting in her office and I could look at her. That's the other side of the coin. That was ridiculous. And that's because, as you quite rightly said, she didn't have my back at all. And she was willing to throw me under the bus. And I was gone within five months. Then... Moving into my own business and starting my own business. I've always been good at what I've done because of that work ethic, because I was very conscientious and all that. But now to what I enjoy most, which is helping young ones or younger, young ones, younger members of the profession getting through, or maybe slightly older members of the profession coming through and giving that guidance and just my experience of it. And as I said about university, I'm an associate lecturer in the University of Ulster. I love helping the students as well. Those students who can be bothered, like, because half of them at the minute can't be bothered. But I really, really love helping them in terms of whenever that penny drops and they go, yeah, this now makes sense. That's huge job satisfaction. I'm literally just saying, yeah, this is what I did do. And don't make that mistake that I did. So I completely get it. I completely get it in terms of if if you can demonstrate to someone that you have their back and you're fair, you're a fair person. I think that's all sometimes you need to ask for, isn't it?
0: It is. And that's really interesting because in the research I've been doing for the book that I'm writing, the thing that keeps coming up is fairness. That people feel like once they're treated fairly, that actually that makes a huge difference. But what is fairness, James? And is my version of fairness going to be the same as yours?
1: What a question. My, <laughs> my question of fairness is that if you do something wrong, and, and I would always be one, if I'd done something wrong, I'd put my hands up and go, look, I'd done that wrong. So rather all being judge, jury and executioner, that the person goes, okay, I understand that. How are we going to change this? And I might help you. Rather than being blamed and being the scapegoat and all that, that's what I think. fair. If that person's going, okay, you haven't had that bit of training or you're just maybe a wee bit ex- experienced in that in that area, let me help you to get to that standard. Now, and then I think it's fair game. If you make them stay twice, then you can get done. You know what I mean? But if that person's willing to just take a bit of time and, and help you out, I think that's fairness, to give you a fair crack of the whip. Rather than you're being judged 24-7 or you're being micromanaged 24-7, that's not fair at all because you're not being given a chance.
0: This is the thing, isn't it? It comes down to really basic human ways of being in the world. We haven't even brought technology into this, you know what I mean? It's actually just about being a decent human being with another decent human being. So fairness comes from treating people like people and having manners and not setting unrealistic expectations and not overloading people with work and making time for them. All of these little, very little simple things that perhaps we think we can ignore
1: we can't have you ever met somebody that's completely different outside of work oh yeah why (laughs) i again as i said to you before i'm turning into my dad and one of my dad's greatest strengths and i'm going to make maybe put this in an un pc way but it didn't matter if you were the big man high and mighty man this you've got the status or again this is on pc the village idiot my dad treated them both the same. And I think I'm identical to that. I don't care about status. I don't care about ego. We're all the same. And maybe this is my human bit where we all come into this world the same way and we are all going to leave this world the same way. So why would you be a different person inside of work and outside of work? I think that's all ego. It's conditioning. It's ego. And then once I don't like I told you before I went through this dark night of the soul, once your ego falls apart and you become much more self-aware and go, ah, right, this is what it's all about. Not only do you attract better people, but you become a better person and you become a better manager or you become a better leader in your work. But it's all that recognition of ego and, okay, I'm going to contradict myself or I'm saying the ruthlessness and et cetera, et cetera. That's where our profession struggles. There is still egos there. And maybe that's where it's tied in. But it's that self-awareness that I would encourage more people to think about. What makes you tick? How do you deal with other people? Even what you've said, which is so right and to get here that mine. See if you don't say your please and thank yous to me. I'll tell you. (laughs) It's the wee young ones in university where they write one line and I will automatically write back. It's professional and it's polite to say please. Hey, how are you doing? And thank you. Please do that in f- for future reference. I would say I that to every student that doesn't do hello or thanks or whatever. It is those basics. You're absolutely right. It is that what I used to do to clients. You sit down to your member of staff and talk about their holiday for 10 minutes. And then you say, okay, this is what we need to do. Or the good old classic feedback sandwich. You know, that one, the positive and then the bad news and another bit of positive again. So that's the challenge I would maybe pose is have a bit of a self-awareness with yourself. If you believe you're different inside and outside of work, why is that? And maybe try and bring that human element into work.
0: It's such a great way of thinking about it, James. Are you the same person inside and outside of work? And Look, people will say, oh, well, when I'm a parent or I'm a, I don't know, ooh, at Toastmasters or I'm blah, 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 that I'm going to be this different person. And I, I think we will shine different parts of our personality depending on the context. But absolutely, if you meet me anywhere, I would hope that you meet the same Susan and that you would recognize Susan in any context whatsoever. But I'd like to go back to self-awareness a little bit. And this is a question that I often ask people. So forgive me (laughs) for asking this, but how do you know that you're self-aware?
1: I hope you're asking hard questions today. How do I know if I'm self-aware? I can feel my impact on others very quickly. I've always been like that. And it's maybe going back to me looking after myself the least. I will always put other people's feelings ahead of my own. And I will always have a very conscious thought, how am I making that other person feel? That's always been to my detriment occasionally, because then I sometimes don't stand up and be counted. And I hate difficult conversations. So that's where I'm self-aware where I go, how am I impacting that other person? I'm changing my tact and self-awareness where I need to now understand. I've done a bit of work in this and then I let it slip and I'm getting back into the world of me, myself. I have a bad back. So last week I was with a massage therapist. We were talking about things. And I went, James, you're very analytical, aren't you? Very boom, 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 factual. I went, yes, I am. I said, James, have you ever felt inside your own body? I went, I sort of, I I know what you mean, but I am very cerebral a lot. But then her thing was, James, instead of, going, I'm a massive, like I used to do powerlifting, and she went, don't go and do weights for a while. That is very logical. You're going to do three sets of 12. You're going to beat your personal best. What I want you to do is go for a walk in the woods and in nature and understand what you're feeling inside. So, it's a different type of self awareness than I'm now touching and feeling into, is what's awareness of me. So, not only have I been very good at being self aware of my impact on others, I'm actually very good at reading people as well. So, I can tell people like that pretty well. But, what's the self awareness within me now? So, that's my development in terms of all that. And for any Irish men out there who are listening to that, <laughs> Trying to admit that is is a big thing too, but I went through, like I've said to you before, I went through that, very dramatically, it's called The Dark Night of the Soul, that all kicked off 2015-2016, where I had a big breakup from the relationship, I had a very unique upbringing in terms of being an only child in circumstances at home. I'm I'm going off tangent here, Susan, but here, the very strict Irish Catholic upbringing coming from the north of Ireland, which we had a conflict for 40 years. So your identity was Irish Catholicism, Gaelic football, all that sort of stuff. And I was living this conditioned life. So I really wasn't particularly self-aware, even in work I wasn't. And the one thing I do want to say about I was, on apologies if you can hear Storm Agnes now in the background, the one thing that I, I was, as a young manager, a very different person than I was outside because of stress. I wasn't coached as a young manager. I was promoted probably too soon. So therefore, yes, I do understand having those two. Jacqueline Hyde, the personas. But going back to that dark night of the soul, it cracked me right open. And I mean right open where I had to say to myself, what's actually going on here? Because I didn't have a clue what was going on. It, it, it cracked me open. I went into to what people would say You're going into the spiral of despair. I came out the other end and went, it was actually a breakthrough of of 18 months. And that's where my self-awareness started to really develop because I had to. Susan, if you mentioned the word psychology to me in 2015, early 2015, I would have said that's fluffy BS. That's nonsense. I don't care about any of that because I'm logical. I'm analytical. I'm an accountant. My head works like a spreadsheet. And once those tabs start to delete, you have to go and think about okay, what's actually happening here? That's a very long winded way to understand where my self awareness came from.
0: It's not at all. Like it's a it's a it's your answer, okay? So it actually doesn't really matter. It does matter because it's an amazingly rich and important answer. So I like to understand how. You made a very clear distinction between pre, say, 2015 and post-2015. So you can see that as a manager or earlier on in your career, you did not have what we would say was self-awareness of yourself in a workplace. You were conscious of things and you probably treated people well and all of that stuff. But you're... The psychology or the behavior side of things was fluffy BS, as you
1: said. Probably because I never got coached.
0: Yeah.
1: So I never got coached or mentored or anything like that. I was literally thrown to the wolves. I qualified in 2006. Early 2008, I was associate director. Like madness. And it was, there you go. There's your portfolio of clients. There's your work in progress. There's your billing targets. And you got targets to get work in as well. And that was all at the age of about 28. And I had no coaching. Now, the, the, the partners in the firm were very big advocates for me, whatever else. But they were old school. And they were right, you sink or swim here. And I swum for about another five years. And then had to move on. So, maybe there was that element of conditioning in that. And this maybe is a trait of mine as well. For as, as much as I am self aware, even now, a thing I have to work on, I don't suffer fools gladly either. So, I do have this wee streak in me that's maybe still harking back from that period of time, whereas you, you sink or swim and that's it. So, there was that bit of conditioning. But, and that was old, James, as I've I always read to myself. But how did you, James, come through after that dark night of the soul? And, and things I would say to the listeners as well. You're the average of the five people you hang about with the most. No doubt about it. So get a look at that circle. And don't even think about it in work. Think about it outside of work. Because if that influences you as a person, hopefully you can bring that better person into the world of work. I changed and I met a couple of people that changed my life. Definitely did. And encouraged me to, and then the other thing was, I started my own business, which was a lifesaver. And I literally mean that. That was a lifesaver. Because I now had a wee project to get my teeth stuck into. And I never, ever thought I'd have a business in my life. I never, I never ever did. And then what i done was, Susan, I experimented. I actually was honest with myself and went, yes, I am interested in so many other things rather than, like what we do here in the north of Ireland is you go to the pub on a Friday night, and you don't leave. Whereas I'm slightly more different than that. I am massive into history and culture. I went on a course on the chakra system. There were 12 women and me. I love that. <laughs> but then I exposed myself to different things. So that's where self-awareness actually started to come through as well. So those are the things surround yourself with good people if you're curious about doing a course on something, don't care what everybody thinks, go and do it or go experiment on it. And if you've got a, an, an interest or a side hustle, do that five to nine hours and build up something small and you goodness knows what that takes. You. I wouldn't be employed part-time by uni if I didn't have my own business because that's what attracted them to me. But I would say actually, and maybe you'd say, Susan, starting your own business is the best learning and development course you can ever take
0: undoubtedly absolutely undoubtedly and it's the sink or swim yeah it really is and I I love that analogy anyway sink or swim and if you think back then James to the partners that you talked about who said it is sink or swim here this is what we did so this is what you're going to do what's the impact on them like who had they become it's you know, you could in a way you could say that they swam and you didn't, you drowned.
1: Good. They swam to their version of success, not my version of success. I'm now doing my version of success. So, the green eyed monster occasionally comes out in James on LinkedIn, where I see a couple of people in uni are right partners, right? On X amount of money a year, but some of my friends as well who are in very, very senior positions. See the fact that I'd done a day trip to Milan last Thursday. Right? I'd done a day trip. I, I lived 20 miles south of Belfast. I drove to Dublin and I'd done a day trip to Milan. And lunchtime I took out my laptop and done an hour's work and I went back and said, seen the San Siro Stadium. Who's more successful? You don't know. So I would say that's their version of success which isn't my version of success. Very different. But I remember he used to go into senior management meetings, and this the office management partner in particular was actually quite proud that he didn't see his children growing up, because that was a sacrifice to the profession. And I went, nah, 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 nah. This is, this is crazy. This is like you're you're missing the point here. <laughs> and that's where I see my success now as achievements, more than just money. That was where I sort of changed my mind.
0: It's fascinating, isn't it, how we can as well, I think, justify our take on life. And look, that person said what they said, but to say that you're sacrificing seeing your children growing up to the Mm -hmm. profession, just it just sounds like that's crazy. For everyone, for everyone, for the kids, for that person, for everyone that person came in contact with because something was missing or, I don't know, it's not fair to judge either. We're not here to do that.
1: Absolutely not, no, and that's his thing and that's fine. It's not my thing. And that's just the analogy behind it. Like, but the opening line that I said in my TED Talk was... And I changed it. Every, I tweaked it ever so slightly to work for the talk. And it was, son, you're only in this planet for a wee trip. Go and make the most of it, right? My dad said that. But funny enough, he didn't actually say it to me. I just changed it for the TED Talk. So his younger brother, 18 years younger, uh, our column. Column came into the house here. Now, my dad was the last few months. So he probably only had about four months to go. And he was completely bedridden. But Jim being Jim, he was as happy as anything, singing and groaning. He used to have a wee tin whistle, and he used to blow it. Right, slave, come on and make me and my breakfast. That was for me to make him his breakfast. A wee bit of wheaten and cheese. Sorry for people out there don't know what wheaten is. But anyway, so our column came in and sat down, and he was just newly married. Our column got married at 59, right? Just newly married. I was going, ah. He says, "Jimmy says, I've seen a cheap deal to go to Spain. And my dad's around and went, have you the time to go? He went, yes. Can you afford it? Yes. He said, calm. Are you only on this planet for a wee trip? Go and make the most of it. You could be lying here like me. I'll never forget that. And that's where travel and meeting new people and doing podcasts like this and maybe getting a few clients and it's paying the bills, that's success to me. Maybe helping a few people and I got people through their their finals for Chartered Accountants Ireland there two weeks ago and getting those wonderful messages of going, James, I'm now a fully qualified chartered accountant and I couldn't do it without you. That's huge success. So actually saying, right, I've made a bit of an impact in this world. Or doing that day trip to Milan. So again, that's something for people to think about. What is your version of success? Because you are only on this planet for a wee tiny trip.
0: Totally. And I think understanding your version of success. is something that we're often maybe living somebody else's version of success, because like you say, the conditioning or whatever, and we're brought up in a certain way or we were influenced by certain people. So understanding your own can take actually quite a lot of effort as well. It's not something you might know immediately. And and I think this is where you talk about something else, and that's that fusion of passion and
1: purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very passionate now about doing these, these achievements for me. So travel's a huge thing for me. My two travel goals are to go to all 50 countries in Europe and to go to all eight wonders of the world. And I'm nearly there with the wonders of the world. I've got another 25 countries to go in Europe. But that's because I like Susan. I like doing things that not too many people on the planet have done. And I've done some crazy stuff. But again, it's just people to think, you know, if you want to do that course, if you want to go and do that, I'm not going to be naive either. We do need to have money to survive. I'm not going to be naive and go, oh, you, you know, you chuck in your job and you go for a world trip. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it is just be balanced in your view of success. Social media is full of absolute nonsense regarding success in terms of you can be get rich quick in six months or you have to grind 24-7. If you want to grind 24-7, fair play to you. But if you don't want to do it, don't do it. You go and do what you want, what makes you feel comfortable. But it is getting that balance. Thankfully, now I'm in a position where I can pay the bills and live Like, I'm very lucky here. This is my great-grandfather's house. I am a 130-year-old cottage in a beautiful village here in the north of Ireland. I'm very lucky in that respect. You know, my mum when I was born in the house, it's more than a a house, it's a home to me. And it's mine, I'm very lucky. And I've got the consultancy and I've got the university sorted where I can get that standard of living that I want. But I'm not going to do it to the detriment of my life. You know what I mean? That's just my. i uh, would put again on the other side of the coin. I'm not going to preach to anybody about that either. Each to their own, but at least have an honest look at yourself about what you want.
0: And and that word is key. I think the honesty, isn't it? And you, it's something you mentioned already. Being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And is it common for us? I know you can't speak for everyone, but I'm going to put this one out there. To be honest with ourselves, James.
1: It was very difficult for me to be honest with myself. Did I want to be a partner in Grant Thornton right down in my soul? No, it didn't. But was I going to give it a go? Yes, I was going to give it a go because, again, my old fella, who was a very wise man, mentioned the what-if factor, what if you don't give this a go, son? At least just give it a go. And I give it a go and understood I didn't like it. So, for example, my view of networking until 2015, 2016 was going into a room of people that I had absolutely nothing in common with, with a back pocket full of business cards, dealing them out like playing cards and walking out again, because it wasn't my crowd. That was my whole thing then. So I wasn't honest. I wasn't honest with myself at all. I thought being on, you know, six-figure salary was what you done. You do the accountancy degree, you get a professional qualification, you go into the same firm for the rest of your life, and you become partner. That's what I thought you done. But I wasn't being honest with myself. Did I enjoy it? No, I didn't. I didn't enjoy the late nights. I didn't enjoy the deadlines. I didn't enjoy the constant pressure. I didn't enjoy the 60-hour weeks. Absolutely not. Whereas now, I'm probably at the same level in terms of income that I was back then. Am I going to be a millionaire anymore? Probably not. Don't get me wrong, I would love a million, but not to the detriment of my own well-being. So that's the thing. And it's for people to be content. Maybe it's back to that word contentment that we mentioned before, or I mentioned to you before, being content with where you're at. Because social media in today's world is that you can't be content because you've always something else to strive for. And we're never going to get to that point, or the vast majority of us. Even if you're a partner, you're going to strive to get the next million. And then the next million, what's the point? (laughs) If somebody's listening to this and wants to give me a million, I'll survive in that for the rest of my life. Thanks very much. <laughs> you
0: say that now with the cost of electricity and, and oh, gas. Oh,
1: well, well, I'll invest half a million and live in the other half more. I'm an accountant.
0: <laughs> investments aren't safe anymore, James. The world is uh, very unstable. But yeah, like there, there I mean, there's a lot in there and, and taking an honest look at ourselves. And I think even if we talk back to the workplace, the role we play, I think that's something about fairness as well, that actually taking an honest look at how you contributed to a situation that blows up or isn't working, it's often easier to cast that shadow or net outwards rather than taking a look at yourself. And I think... That's something that took me a long time to understand that maybe I was playing a role in the fact that things weren't working out the way they were meant to be in my own mind.
1: who the unfairst thing that I ever done in work, especially when I was a young manager, not delegate. And looking back on it, that was my biggest fault of, of them all. So I had, maybe it was a challenge set for me, I had the most challenging technical portfolio of clients in the entire office at the age of 28. And I always had the opinion, right, all the hard stuff I'll do because at least i know it'll be right, <laughs> right? And I don't want to be standing in the dock, so I'll do this stuff myself. But I wasn't fair to my members of staff, the younger members of staff. Well, they were just about two years younger than me. I wasn't fair to them because they didn't have an opportunity to prove themselves to me or learn, and I wasn't fair to myself because it was probably my own reasoning is the reason I was doing 60 hours a week because I was taking so much more work on board that I shouldn't have done. So was I unfair whenever I was a young manager? Absolutely unfair to not only staff, but to myself. Without a doubt. So yeah, delegation is a huge thing. And maybe that's part of our personality, is it's hard for us to let go because we're quite logical, analytical, slightly controlling in many ways, maybe a slight bit of OCD. (laughs)
0: comes back to I think James what you said about you know 28 is very young to take on that level of responsibility and without a proper mentor or guide or coach to help you see you need it to be fair to yourself and so on one of the first episodes I recorded was this phrase I picked up which I absolutely love it was a guy called Jerry Harris and the episode is I don't know episode 8 or 9 or something and. He talked about appropriate selfishness. He said he was around in the world of work long before this work-life balance phrase. And one of his bosses told him that he needed to have appropriate selfishness.
1: Very interesting.
0: Isn't it? You know, that actually the, the wheels would come off. If he wasn't looking out for himself. And I thought it was a great way of thinking about things.
1: I might tag something onto that. Appropriate boundaries. So being a cur all my life. So I cared for my mum. So both me and my dad cared for mummy. God love her. She was very, very ill for many years. And then I had the pleasure and the honour of looking after her. And then I equally had an honour of looking after my dad as well. So I basically cared. 42 years of my life and I had no boundaries because of right I have to do this to make such and such happy or need to do this need to do that need to do the other and no boundaries for myself at all so whenever I was talking to I was in a sort of a group it was a therapy session so whenever I was in a group therapy session we were talking about strong boundaries and it just hit me like a ton of bricks I've always let people, okay, there was stuff that, that I had to let the boundaries go. My dad was ill or whatever, but all the other stuff around that, if somebody rung me up at 12 o'clock at night after me caring for my dad all day and went, I need this, I would have gone and done it rather than saying no. So it is those appropriate boundaries as well, which comes into that. that appropriate selfishness is a great, a great term. And whenever someone talked about having that, especially i would absorb a lot of negative stuff from people because of the empath i absorb it myself and it wrecks me energetically so therefore i do need to be stronger in that if someone is going off on one and you say hold on a minute i can't absorb that i have to go and do something else so it is and even in the world of work if you're feeling that again that's back to the self-awareness piece if you're coming and you're getting energetically really tired in work There's something not right. And you have to sit back and go, what's going on? Is it me or is it the circumstances? And maybe having to try and change those circumstances by having a conversation with a line manager or a member of staff or whatever. It's the thing I need to man up with myself is those difficult conversations with people in order to maintain those boundaries. But that, that, yeah, that selfishness piece, that's fantastic. Mm. It's not, not really selfishness either. It's maybe protecting yourself.
0: Absolutely. I think, and there's nothing wrong with being selfish anyway. We often approach things with this, it's either good or bad or right or wrong. And we sometimes disregard the the word because it says selfish and we've been brought up to say, don't be selfish. But actually, it's about protecting yourself, I think, which is a really good point, James. And like your your dad said, you only have one trip. And who's going to look out for you if you don't?
1: And that's the other thing that I have had to learn dramatically in terms of how can you give from an empty cup. I had a bit of a blip during the summer. I've I paused the business for a couple of months because I needed to recharge and uh, because I was just running on empty. I was doing everything. I never had a boundary at all. And again, being self-aware, I know I'm very much of an all-or-nothing personality. So I'm very much if I'm in it, I'm in a million miles an hour into whatever that may be. And a friend of mine in the summer, just, would you ever wise up and actually slow down? So yeah, there there is a bit of that in terms of self-awareness. The other thing as well, which is really interesting for people, if you want to think about self-awareness, is what was your childhood like up to seven and then up to 14? Because those are the two watershed moments in your life and what was going on then. Because I had to rewind and look back at all that there again up to twenty fifteen, I'd be going, "That's a load of nonsense, all that," but it's not. So if you're thinking back, is it called Gestalt therapy or something? You actually go back into your memory bank sort of thing. It's very, very useful, very powerful stuff. That so that definitely helps aid self awareness. Believe it or not, do you know how far I went back? I went back before I was born. <laughs> I was 10 weeks premature and I was two and a half pounds of weight. Whoa. Yeah. Fuck, I'm not two and a half. I'm not two and a half. Now. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so even going back to that, going, that makes sense. You know what I mean? And I was four months in an incubator before I was let out of hospital. And you're going, yeah, that makes sense in terms of my reactions to things and so, yeah, I'm not saying for people to go back that far, but I did. <laughs> in order to eat self-awareness of why things happen the way they go or why you respond in the way you do.
0: There are clues everywhere and there are definitely in the childhood. And, James, I don't, can't remember if I've asked you this before, but it's just coming up so strongly. It's the Camino. Have you walked the Camino? have never done the Camino. As you were talking about slowing down and all of that, the Camino, that? I've walked from Lisbon to Santiago.
1: Wow, because the, alone, the physio last week that I was with that told me to go into the woods, done that, the full Camino by herself. Yeah. That's incredible, isn't it? Well, I've, now I've done a crazy. I've done a 200-mile walk in the Himalayas. Four four marred Irishmen going around the Himalayas. There were two Sherpas and us four, and those two Sherpas got lessons. But for that three weeks, they've never encountered four boys like that before.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or again, probably, James, or again.
1: <laughs> never again. But I love doing stuff. That's solace. So as I said, I went to Milan by myself. No problem at all. To have that small bit of time. I had a book on the plane. i done one hour of work in a coffee shop. And then I got my dinner and came home. If you want to do that, go and do it. If you want to go and walk the Camino by yourself, go and please go and do it. Okay, there's maybe a load of logistical things to sort, but don't just put that off to tomorrow. Honestly, don't. I came home from Milan on Thursday evening, and on Saturday morning, I was looking up where I'm going next. And also, maybe you can relate to this, sometimes the best company you can have is with yourself.
0: Absolutely. Have Hello. you come across David White? No. Oh, yeah. So I'm going, to be, I'm going to send you some links after this. I think you might like the writings of David White. Yeah. And yeah, and he talks about that as we get older, how we start to prefer
1: our own company. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes sense. There's another book called The Possibility Exists, written by a fellow that I knew a few years ago called Owen Scullard. And he was brought up in the Irish Catholic tradition. He became an accountant. Uh, he ran his own business. He went through all these emotions of, of what, what happened in Ireland throughout and every single page, Susan, I can relate to something. So again, a young Irish man out there listening to this, The Possibility Exists by Owen Schollard. It's absolutely mind blowing And it may help. The other one as well, I know I'm, I'm I'm being slightly sexist with my book recommendations, The Highly Sensitive Man by Tom Falkenstein and I listened to it on Audible, and I roared in the car, yes, that's me, just again, because it made me think, it's not just me. I'm not the only one who feels like this. There are boys writing books about this. You know, it is common. You're not, okay, there's a small percentage of maybe sensitive, empathetic men like me, maybe a smaller percentage than than the norm, but it's not just me. So if there's anybody who wants to become more self-aware, those two books are brilliant.
0: I love that it's not just me and it never is James and this is one of the reasons that I'd have these conversations with people and the podcast because we're never alone and we often think we are and I think there's huge benefit in hearing other people speak and going ah that happened to me or I feel like that or that's how I think.
1: It's, it's again, I, I literally, whenever you were saying that, I'm thinking back to 2015, where I thought it was just me. Like, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? Why am I isolated like this? Why can't people understand what I'm going through? But I hadn't found my tribe at that stage. To
0: have- That's such a good point. Yeah, I often felt it was just me. With stuff, and that I was going through this, and no one else had ever gone through anything like this before.
1: <laughs> Why you somebody else through life and I don't? Aye, oh, no, got that.
0: Yeah, and so yeah, there's there's somebody out there. There's we have so many like relatives who aren't related <laughs> because we can relate to them out there on the planet, and yeah, find your tribe, and That's you're the- not, you're never alone.
1: That's the big thing. So I met a fellow accountant in twenty early 2016, and meeting him actually changed me. I had, a, I, uh, had breakfast with him on Saturday morning in Newcastle, beautiful uh, town here, beside the mountains of Moran. So I had breakfast with, with this particular person, and meeting him, he owns a wee boutique accountancy practice here. It's a family-run practice. It's very successful, but I call him the king of networking because he was the one that showed me that's not the stuff that I was, Charter counts Ireland networking events or Grant Thorpe networking events, not that stuff that I didn't have anything in common with. There are entrepreneurial events. There are startup events. There are chakra courses out there. There are loads of other things. Go on to meetup.com. Go on to Eventbrite. Go on to these things and go and find something that really lights you up. Like someone said, lights you up like a Christmas tree. That's where personal growth is. And if you can take that personal growth and bring it into a professional setting, you will become a much better leader. I think I wrote a LinkedIn post about this. About two weeks ago, I was in Copenhagen. And I met a couple of fellow LinkedIn connections. And I just then wrote about how... Travel, for me, is like, I think I wrote, is like living a real-life MBA because of the things you encounter, how you grow, bring a decent book with you, read that, the challenges of how do you get into Brussels from the airport, talking to people. I talked to this guy, and he was a waiter, and again, gave is this maybe The Art of Me and Rapport Building, and I said, well, where are you from? Most people won't talk to their waiter. And I said, well, where are you from? Says I'm from Chechnya. And I went, oh Grozny. And he couldn't believe that I knew the capital city of Chechnya. He couldn't do enough for me. He couldn't do enough for me. And then he started talking to me about Irish history. I go, what? He says, Yeah, my best mate's from Dublin. <laughs> so it's these things of you grown as a person. How many times do you talk to somebody in the supermarket? You probably don't. Again, maybe I'm taking a life lessons from my dad. He was—he could have talked to a crack in the wall. You know what I mean? They probably tried to as well. But that's the thing. Let me go full circle here. That's the storytelling. That's the conversation. That's where growth comes from.
0: And it's the human connection, James. I mean, I think that's what sums all of that up, is the human connection.
1: and. Right, here's no- Ag- Agnes is just making her way here, big time now. Storm Agnes is going absolutely berserk outside.
0: Look, we've massively overrun anyway. (laughs) And I knew that was going to happen. I said to my other half, I said, you know what? I bet you we will talk over because I never usually do. But all I was going to say was what was interesting was I was just on, on holidays. And when the waiter would come over... Because I always talk to waiters, uh, especially when I'm abroad, waitresses, and the waiter would come over and say, how are you? And blah, blah, blah. And and then we would say, and how are you? And even that, he'd go, like, what? And I just think if you want the local food recommendations and the, the wine recommendations or anything, they are such a source of knowledge. And they will go out of their way because you'll build a rapport.
1: And I think that's maybe, I know... You're a fluent Irish speaker, and we were talking about this. That's built into our language. So, Auguste and here, you know, yeah, that natural response from an Irish person comes from our language, I think. So, mm. I was, I was at that therapy thing, that group therapy thing, and the facilitator, the psychotherapist, was a native Irish speaker from Gweedore and Donegal, and her description of things was out of this world because she was harking back to. The Irish language and then translating it into your head and being so expressive in English. Maybe that's an Irish language thing that in terms of our automatic asking, well, how are you? You know, it's like our own expression. If you say hello to someone in Irish, your own expression is a blessing, like it's a blessing. So maybe that's where it comes from. I I think that's very interesting as well. But just to tie that off, the next night I went back. Oh, see, I'm very fussy with food, right? So I go to these foreign places and I try and find the Hard Rock Cafe because I know they're going to have chips and wings, right? <laughs> so I'm back in the same day and I said to the wee waitress, well, how are you? Where are you from? Which she said, I'm from Albania and I'm a bit of a nerd. So the capital is Tirana and I would love to go. And I said, oh, Tirana. And again, I'm talking to her. She's doing an MBA in Brussels. And you're just It's that rapport building. It's that conversational thing, and here's a challenge again to the listeners: If you don't do that, give it a try. There's a there's a dare for you or a challenge. Go and talk to someone that you bumped into, the the person serving you in the shop, or the the waiter at a restaurant, and build that art of conversation and carry that into work.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and connect with the human side of people, like you would like someone to do to you as well, I think.
1: But even whenever, you know, that event, again, I'm talking about Ireland again, but this is just, I think we do have a slight knack of this. Whenever we were sitting around that table at lunchtime and all the Irish people converged on the one table.
0: (laughs) I met James at an event in London in June and I think we had the rowdiest table at lunchtime. (laughs) (laughs) We, we just seemed to gather people as we sat.
1: People from every corner of the island.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. And Javed.
1: Javed was going, what's going on here? How do these people have just met and yet it seems like they know each other intimately?
0: Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Right, James. I am going to call <laughs> a halt to this conversation. <laughs> I think you'll definitely be back again for another one, I would imagine. And yeah. Thank you so much for your honesty and for taking some of those questions that I think many of us are curious about and don't want to ask those questions. So that's the other reason I like to ask
1: them. Thank you for asking hard questions.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. It would be no fun if you came on here and and you weren't put through your paces. But James... I'm sure people will want to connect with you after this. So what is the best way of connecting with you?
1: LinkedIn without a shadow of a doubt. It's the only way to connect with me. <laughs> Someone nothing else. <laughs> so no, definitely LinkedIn. If you want to contact me, go and search James Perry on LinkedIn. Send me a DM. No problem at all having a conversation. Whether through DMs or Zoom preferably. And we'll have the crack as we say here in Ireland.
0: Absolutely. And I think you have a YouTube channel as well, James, with some interviews with people
1: on there. If that's a wee sideline, you must have been hunting me out on that one. I used to do some, okay, there's the accountancy one, that will probably change. But as a sideline during COVID, I started to interview people randomly and used to host, Um, actually i done this slightly before COVID, used to host networking events as well. it was under a brand called James Perry Presents, and then I just parked it. I interviewed a priest off Father Ted. I interviewed the number one authority on Newgrange, the, the ancient burial chamber in Ireland. You name some of the personalities that you stumble across. Absolutely fantastic. Again, going back to the other conversation. I might I might, I might restart that again. There you
0: go. And my dad wrote a poem about Newgrange that hangs <laughs> in Newgrange.
1: No way.
0: Yeah. So I'm gonna send you that as well, James. So I have a bunch of things to send you after this conversation.
1: You're, you're not gonna be, be meeting anybody this afternoon. You'd be sending me links.
0: <laughs> I'm meeting my publisher in an hour. 45 minutes, so I really have to go. That sounds so good, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> James, thank you so much for the conversation and for allowing it to run its over its normal course as well. Hopefully. I appreciate that.
1: And hopefully people will, will get something from it.
0: And even if they don't, I have. Get so away. thank you.
1: <laughs> Very good. Brilliant.
0: All right. On. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.